Well, we have one more week in this series. We're all freaking out and why we don't have to. And want to encourage you to um, invite others. Next week is Sustaining a Life of Peace. And if you missed last Sunday, I really want to encourage you to go online, bridgewater.church, and watch that again or watch that for the first time, especially if you struggle with depression or you know someone who, who does. And there's just so much that God's Word shares with us that I think is really helpful. We're going to talk about fear today, and as I was thinking about different times of anxiety and fear and stress in my life, I'm not a normally fearful person, okay? So I can't even think of a time where I was scared of another person like in the last 30 years. There were times where I probably should have been scared <laughs> of someone in certain situations, but for whatever reason, I wasn't. Um, I used to, as a kid, uh, I think of this, I'm so glad you don't do this, Ryan. When I was his age... I, w I climbed up like those blinking light towers, like I did one of those when I was his age, and a couple years later, I did a higher one on a hill. And you know, they sway in the wind, even when there doesn't seem to be a wind. Like they Anyway, don't do that, all right? So, but I'm not a generally fearful person, but really, this sermon is as much for me as anyone, because what I'm scared of, I think what, what is more serious fears than fear of heights or uh, fear of someone coming in at night and robbing you, you know, in your house or something like that, which I don't have. More serious fears are things like fear of failure, fear of, of being rejected, fear of, uh, you know, what do people think about me? Because those are fears that stop us from obeying God. And, and that's what's really important. And so we're going to look at some story, a story of fear this morning. And fear is definitely not just something I struggle with. Um, two out of three Americans say that they are anxious. Either they are slightly or somewhat or extremely anxious. One out of three are more anxious this year than last year. And this is a statistic from 2019. And so since COVID, I don't think it's better. In fact, um, 2020, overdoses from anxiety medicines uh, were at the highest peak ever and were, I think it was eight times more than, than 10 years previous. So it's just, it's just a crazy amount of stress and fear in our society now. 70% um, of 18 to 34-year-olds are somewhat or extremely anxious. Okay, I remember when I was 23 years old, I was finishing my first year of seminary. It was, for the first time, hard. So academics always came easy for me. Seminary was hard. And I procrastinated a little bit. Um, how many of you are procrastinators? Raise your hand. The real procrastinators, you'll raise your hand in about 30 minutes. <laughs> I should have raised my hand. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I'll do it later. You know, so I had procrastinated. And on top of that, it was 1994. There was something new called computers. And then with that, computer viruses. And I had all these papers that I had done that disappeared. And I had to redo them. And I was so stressed, I, I broke out in a rash all over my body, and this is probably too much information, but my urine turned brown. <laughs> and so just, because I like, I got to get this done. I'm getting married in a couple months. I got to get this done so I can get married. And then I'm planning a honeymoon in England. And, and it was just like so stressful and overwhelming. And really at the root of all that, was a fear of failure, but really more than that is a fear of other people seeing me as a failure. And how can my fiance, like how can I tell her that I failed? 
And, and you know, so, so fear. Here's um, one of the things we need to understand is that your worries identify your beliefs. Your worries are based upon what you believe. And if you believe that everything is up to you, you're going to be scared. Because deep down, you may be very much aware that you might not be able to do it. Um, and we'll go into this. There's a story about fear in the Old Testament um, in the life of Gideon. Gideon is known as one of the greatest heroes, one of the most courageous people in all of the Bible. And yet, he struggles with fear at every step in the process. It, it amazed me how long-suffering God was toward his fears. And I think that's important for us to understand. If you're here struggling with anxiety or fear or stress or depression or anything that's freaking you out, God is not up in heaven like ready to just crush you and stomp on you. He, he, he is near the brokenhearted. And he has a special love for those who struggle with fear like Gideon. And so the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Why is he threshing wheat in a wine press? Because wine ripens in the summer and wheat ripens in the fall. And you really wouldn't think to find someone in a summer wine press in the fall where he's supposed to be threshing wheat. He's hiding. And while he's hiding, what does the angel say to him? The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. He said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, me? In fact, it reminds me of Gabriel coming and talking to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and saying, the Lord is with you, you who are highly favored. And she's like, I'm a teenager. Uh, who, are you, who are you talking about? So, so what does Gideon do after this incredible compliment by an angel? Well, he badmouths God. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, and that, that's Lord lowercase, it's kind of like sir, uh, but if the Lord, uppercase, is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt, but now the Lord's abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian? What we don't understand when we read the Bible sometimes is that sometimes even between one verse and the next, decades of time pass by. Or in this case, from one book, Exodus to the next, Judges, or Joshua to Judges, hundreds of years have transpired. And so the, the Exodus out of Egypt to Gideon was about as contemporary as the Alamo or the Napoleonic Wars. And nobody here remembers that except for Ben. You know? I mean, it's like ancient history. That was, Alamo was 1832. Like that. And, and so he's saying, you know what? Uh, did, did God bring us out of Egypt? I've heard the stories. And if they're true, then he's abandoned us because the Midianites come for years. They've taken everything that, that we haven't been able to successfully hide. Me and my, my, fa my family, my nation is starving. We're being murdered when we try to stop them. Where is God? You see, and your fears are rooted in what you believe about God and what you believe about yourself. And God has abandoned us and the Lord turned to him and he didn't say, how dare you talk that way? No, he said, go in the strength you have 
and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Now, this is an interesting thing. Some of the appearances of, it's called angels in the Old Testament, are actually not angels. Sometimes it's God himself. It's Jesus Christ appearing to others. And this is one of those because the angel didn't appear, turn to him. It says the Lord turned to him. And the angel didn't say, is not God sending you? He's saying, no, I'm sending you. And, and so this is God, this is Jesus Christ talking to Gideon and saying this. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. Gideon doesn't think this is an angel. He definitely doesn't think this is God. He thinks this is probably some crackpot who fancies himself a prophet or, or some practical joke from somebody from the next town over. Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family, right? Not only has God abandoned us, but I am nothing special. And, and there, there are two things about, about, it's kind of paradoxical, about who God says you are. On the one hand, it is true that God says we are sinners, and we can't save ourselves, and we are nothing compared to the holiness of God. And that we need to have that humility and understand where we fit compared to God. But the other side of it is that we are created in the image of God and with God, we can do almost anything. And God is saying to him, you know what, you, and what Gideon says when he thinks God has abandoned us, and he looks at himself and he says, I'm nothing. I mean, I am not useful at all. I'm powerless. You ever felt powerless? That is a key connection to fear, right? Because, in fact, they've done studies in World War II. They found that the, the trauma and the, the fear that, that infantry had was much higher than that of the pilots who were doing the bombing raids, and yet the pilots died at three, four, five times greater, greater numbers than the infantrymen. And so why were the infantry so afraid and the pilots weren't? It's because the pilots felt like they were in control flying the plane. The infantry, they didn't feel like they were in control standing there and getting shelled or bombed. And, and so this, this fear of being totally out of control, what can I do? I'm, I'm helpless, I'm weak. That's, that's where Gideon is at. And the Lord answered, I will be with you. He didn't say, no, Gideon, you're awesome. No, he says, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. So if the first thing, if you are struggling with fear that I think this passage teaches us to do is you need to focus on who God is and who you are with God. God has not abandoned you. In fact, those things that you're stressed about, those things you're anxious over and afraid of, those are put there on purpose by God. And he's not abandoned you. He's right with you. And you are his child. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus and asked him to be your savior and you want to follow him as your Lord, you're his child. You are special. Gideon goes on, Gideon replied, if, if now I've found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. So he's like, you're not God or some angel. Please don't go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I'll wait until you return. And Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, 
And from an ephah of flour, that's 34 pounds of flour, he made bread without yeast. Probably didn't make it all into bread, but from that um, sizable thing. So this is going to take some time. He's killing a goat. He's getting, making dough and, and uh, doing all that, putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot. He brought them and offered them to him under the oak. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. And then the angel touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand and spontaneous combustion, fire flared from the rock, not from the staff, consuming the meat and the bread and the angel of the Lord disappeared. And this is when Gideon is like, oh man, I just badmouthed God. And... Gideon realized that the, it was the angel of the Lord, and he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord. Sovereign means the God who is in control of everything. Sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face, but the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You're not going to die. God is a God who wants peace with you. Even if you badmouthed him, even if you've accused him of abandoning you, even if you don't believe that he's with you or you don't take him at his word, God still wants to have peace with you. And when Gideon realizes this, it's a game changer. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, the Lord is peace. To this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Abizrites. And this is really ironic to me because this is a story about tens of thousands of Israelites being murdered by Midianites and starved to death. And then this is a story about the Israelites killing tens of thousands of Midianites and the Lord is peace. But even in the midst of all of this conflict and all of this violence, God is there and he actually, he does, he wants peace. He wants Gideon to have peace with him. He wants, he wants peace in the nation of Israel the Lord is peace. There's a man who uh, grew up near Punxsutawney, PA. Um, he grew up dirt poor and um, 20 miles southeast of Punxsutawney, PA. Never graduated from high school, literally dirt floor, no running water in his house. Passed away actually in 1960, so this is quite a few years ago. His name was Aiden Wilson Tozer. And he actually went on to get multiple honorary doctorates and be an author, prolifically published, and internationally known pastor. And here's what A.W. Tozer said. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, pastors, sometimes we exaggerate to get points across. And when I first read this, I thought, that's a little bit of an exaggeration. The most important thing about me is, but the more I thought of it, I, I, think, I think he's actually right on. What I think about God, who God is, who I think God is, is one of the most important things about me. If I think God is this limp, wimpy, Santa Claus-like, everybody wins a trophy, uh, God of love, but not justice, not, not a God of, of righteousness and holiness. If I think that's who God is, that is going to influence my life incredibly. And if I think God is this angry, vengeful, harsh, 
strict God that lacks mercy and grace, well, then that's going to influence how I live my life as well. And who you think God is is the most important thing about you. I cannot summarize God in a sermon, and even I don't think I have the capacity to do that. But what I would love to do is to whet your appetite to know him better and to know this God who is peace, who is sovereign, who is the judge, who is seemingly contradictory things, who loves you, who died for you, who has a plan for you, who didn't abandon you, and, and, and like Gideon, wants to use you in some way. So um, here's a quote by uh, the author of a book, We're All Freaking Out and Why We Don't Have To, and appreciated reading that and preparing for these sermons. He said this, grass and weeds require the same soil to grow. In the same way, fear and faith require the same soil to grow. Uncertainty. And without uncertainty, fear can't grow, but neither can faith. The same unknowns of the future related to your marriage, job, health, family, finances provide just as much an opportunity to grow your faith as to grow your fear. What you grow in the long run depends on you. So these things in your life that cause you anxiety and fear and that you maybe are begging God, God, take this away from me. God, why are you allowing? God, have you abandoned me? God has put those things in your life on purpose because he wants you to trust him. He wants you to have faith in him, to run to him. And you can do that. Or you can try to handle it yourself and dig a little bit deeper into your fears and anxieties. Um, the Bible doesn't say, though, with fear, just stop it. All right, that is totally not helpful. Okay, that is not what I'm saying. But I, I do think we need to step back and remind ourselves, who is God and then who am I? And then I think the next thing you need to do if you're struggling with fear is you need to do something scary for God. Now, this is not just do something scary for you. That's like thinking that the solution to a self-centered, fearful person is to become a self-centered, courageous person. Right? That's, that's not what we want. That's not what God wants. Do something scary for God. And, and we'll see with Gideon that what God wants Gideon to do that's scary is right in his house and in his hometown something scary. So what is something scary you can do for God? Right in your family, right in your house, right in your circle of friends, right at your workplace. What are you scared to do for God but won't do? Been, been procrastinating on doing. Maybe it's inviting someone to come to church. You're like, yeah, I have that card in my wallet and I just scared to. What so what are they going to think of me, you know? I don't want to be that guy, the Bible thumper at work and, you know. Or maybe you're scared to, how about after the service, we all turn to someone before you leave and say, how can I pray for you? You're like, well, that would just be weird. And then pray for them right on the spot. Now, that's even weirder. What, are you scared? Maybe if you're married... When you get into the car before you go home, 
You say, honey, let's pray together before we drive home. Well, I've never done that. And if I tried it, I might fail and have this really stupid prayer. And then my wife would see right through me and realize I'm just not the spiritual giant that I need to be. And you know what? Just fear keeps us from so much that God wants for us. And maybe you're here today and you're a kid. Maybe you need to ask your parents at lunch, you know, hey, before we leave, why don't we all pray for each other? You don't have to, but I'll start. I'll pray for you, mom. Try that one out. See what you're, and again, like, why don't we do that? Because I'm afraid I'll fail. I'm afraid I'll look stupid. I'm afraid I won't even know what to say. I'm afraid, do something scary. And you, you might say, that has nothing to do with what I'm really scared about. I'm really scared about finances. I'm really scared about my health. I'm really scared about, about my friend and the, the, the direction that, that he or she is going. I'm really scared that I'm going to be alone all my life and I'm never going to get married. And that has not, the, the, let's deal with that. But you know what? Before God deals with Gideon's fear of the Midianites, he says, let's deal with, what, with stuff right at home. Here's how the story goes. Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. God said, there is an altar to Baal at the center of your hometown and your dad built it. I want you to rip it down. Before we deal with the national emergency, before we deal with what you're scared of, I want you to do something scary for me. And there's nothing in it for you. In fact, you have a lot to lose. They do it at night because he knows the townspeople. They will want to kill him, and they actually do want to kill him afterward. So he did as the Lord told him, but because he was afraid of the, his family, I won't ask for a raise of hands, but how many of you are scared of your family? Not like that they're going to beat you up, but you're scared of rejection, you're scared of what they think, and scared of his family and the townspeople, and he did it at night rather than in the daytime. But the people found out one of his servants maybe cracked under the pressure and, and told someone and blabbed, and so an angry mob comes to Joash's house, and this reveals to us that Gideon is still living at home with his parents. Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him who want to kill his son, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. And Gideon's dad, who I'm sure is furious with Gideon because this was actually the altar he built in the center of town, but doesn't want his son to die, kind of covers for him and skillfully, wisely does this, and Gideon doesn't die. So this is, this is a faith builder. Gideon does something scary, and he doesn't die. Success! <laughs> Maybe afterward, he asks someone, how can I pray for you, and then pray for that? And if you don't die, it's a win, right? Um, I would say this about myself. Some of you might be incredibly reckless. Don't, don't do this, but for me, almost every decision I've ever made because of fear has been the wrong one. I'm like, ah, in fact, I did that just today. I, I, there was someone I needed to talk to. I needed to say something. I didn't want to say it. And I didn't, and I need to say it this afternoon. I need to talk to that person, you know, but I just, I just don't want to. 
And, and the problem is, the consequences of fear is usually nothing. And that doesn't sound so bad. Nothing happened. But it leads to a life full of nothings and zeros and empty, wasted opportunities that God wants us to seize. So, so do something scary. And then the story goes on. The Lord said to Gideon, so, so I got to back up and tell you what happened. So Gideon is just scared again. God says, okay, now, now that you've passed test number one, you did something scary for me. That's a faith builder. Now I want you to conquer this entire tens of thousands of, of enemy troops. And so he blows a horn. And here's the cool thing. When Gideon stands up and says, I want to do something about this, 32,000 men respond to his call. All they needed, everyone was scared, everyone was hiding. All they needed was one man to stand up and say, let's do something. 32,000 men come out of hiding and they're like, we're with you. And, and that's the thing. Fear is contagious, but so is courage. And the courage of Gideon amasses an army of men. And God looks at those 32,000 and he says, it's too many. You're still outnumbered. It's still, but, but you might think it's you that does it. So Gideon, tell everybody who's scared to go home. 22,000 men go home. That's over two-thirds. That actually is the same as the statistic of how many people are somewhat or extremely scared or anxious in America today. And they leave, and now he's only got 10,000 guys, and he's like, man, I mean, I guess this is better. Because, you know, if in, in battle back then, there was no training. There was no, and if, if people started running, more people started running. And, and it was very much, uh, you know, a mental, psychological thing. So now Gideon's like, okay, 10,000 but they're, at least they're not scared, 10,000. Maybe we can do this. And God says, no, it's too many. And, and he has this weird drink test. Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. I guess I got to back up for the drink test. With the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let the, all the others go home. So he says, have them drink at a brook water. And the ones that lap it up like a dog with their tongue, keep those guys. So I have heard commentaries say that these were like ninjas. Like they knew how to drink water, like with a sword in one hand and a shield in the other. First of all, I'm not sure they even had any swords. They were so primitive, and this is so long ago. But, but the whole point of this story is not that they were ninjas. The whole point is that they couldn't do it without God. So this might have been the weirdos. For all we know, right? And Gideon, now Gideon's like, oh boy. I mean, I know he had actually then just to test God, he had set out a fleece, a bunch of wool from one of his, from some of his sheep. He put it out at night and he said, God, if the fleece is wet in the morning and the ground is dry, I know it's you. I mean, I know it's you because I hear your voice from heaven and I know it's you because you were a man and talked to me and then disappeared. And I know it's you because the offering I offered just spontaneously combusted. But just to quadruple check, do this with the wool. And God did. And then Gideon was like, I was so dumb. Because if it rains early in the night, 
it gets the wool wet. And then if the wind comes, it can dry the grass, but not the wool. I should have done it the other way around. So God, can you do it the other way around tonight? Make the wool dry, but the grass all wet. That's really more impossible, you know. And so the next night, and sure enough, same thing. And he's like, oh, I really, really need to do this, don't I? And, and so he's got 300 guys. He goes to bed, so he sent the rest of them home. And the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. And during the night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. So he brings his 300 men sneaks them up, and it's easy to sneak up because there's only a few of them. And he wakes up in the middle of the night with this, and God said, if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura. What do you think he does? He goes down, he's afraid. It's interesting, if you're afraid to attack 100,000, however many Midianites are there, you're afraid to attack them. Take your, your servant, and the two of you go down alone to the camp. Right? So, so often, the answer to our fears is in our fears. And we need to face our fears and, and, and walk toward our fears with God before we can overcome them. And he says, and listen to what they're saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pure and his servant went down to the outposts of the camp. And the Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples, multiple racial, national groups, they all like get together. Hey, let's gang up and just raid Israel again. They had settled in the valley, thick as locusts, and their camels could no longer be counted than the sand on the seashore. And Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. Now let me ask you, if Matt had this dream and he asked you, hey, I had this dream last night, a barley loaf rolled down, hit a tent peg and it collapsed the tent, what would be your interpretation of that dream? Lay off the barley, Matt. <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe... Maybe the, the liquid for, I mean, like, what would you, well, of course the tent would collapse. That's why we live in houses. Like, don't go camping. That's maybe my interpretation is you need to stop camping, right? Here's what the guy says. His friend responded, this can be nothing other. There's only one interpretation to this dream. The sword of Gideon, son of Joash. How does he even know Gideon's name, let alone who his dad is? The Israelite, God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Are you kidding me? And Gideon knows this is a miracle, bigger than the fleece. And somehow this affects him even more than an angel, than, than God himself standing in front of him and, and igniting his offering in flames. And what does he do when Gideon heard the dream and the interpretation? He bowed down and worshiped. What you think about God, what you think about yourself impacts what you're scared of. Doing something scary for God will help you do the next thing that, that, that confronts your fear. But I, I think the, the dagger in the heart of fear, more than anything else, is worship. In fact, in Philippians 4, 6, it says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 
What does that sound like? Prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. That sounds like worship. And, and he, Paul is saying, if you're anxious, you need to worship. This is the first time in this very long story of Gideon that he worships. Finally, he's at a place where instead of seeing his fears so big and so ugly and so insurmountable and heavy, he finally looks above them and sees God. And he's like, that's it. I, I am ready. And he praises God and he worships God right down in the... He doesn't even... He's not even... He's not scared anymore. He doesn't say, Pura, we're going to worship God when we get safely back to camp. <laughs> Because there's Midianites and Amalekites wandering all over the place. That was an amazing story. But no, all of a sudden his fear is gone. He's worshiping God. He gets the 300 men. And I bet his courage was contagious. He's like, guys, let me tell you a story. And this means they are ours. And let's do this. Because he's trusting God and he's focusing on God. I talked about this last week with depression. If you are struggling with depression... One of the things you need, there's lots of things. We need relationships and fight it relationally. You need to fight it physically. If you, know, if you don't know what's causing your depression especially, man, go see a doctor. There's all sorts of physical things that can cause it. You need to fight it mentally. You need to fight it you know, spiritually in all these ways. But one of the ways we can fight depression is one of the same ways we can fight fear. With worship. What is your song? Do you have a song? One-third of all the Psalms in the Bible, the songbook of the ancient Israelites, one-third of them are laments. They're not celebration songs. They're songs for the darkness. They're songs of grief. They're songs of pain. And I don't understand God. And not only did they sing them, they sang them together. And if you're struggling with fear, find a song and sing it in your heart and sing it out loud in your car or your shower or sing it, sing it out at the top of your lungs to remind yourself of who God is and who you are. It might make all the difference and be like a dagger stabbed in the heart of fear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that um, you've given us your word. You've given us examples. You've given us hope. Lord, I just pray for those watching online, for those who are here in this room, that you would shine that light of hope into our lives, into our darkness, that we would, that we would see you beyond the fog of the fear all around us that seems to make things so dark. God, help us to fix our eyes on you, to realize who you are, to realize who we are to you. And God, just, just give us victory over the fear in our hearts. Lord, the emotion we feel maybe can't be changed, but how we respond to it can. And God, give us a song Lord, I thank you for this song we're about to sing about our forgiveness and about your grace. And, and I, I just pray that, 
we would believe these words as we sing them. Realize that as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our sins from us. You've cast it into the bottom of a sea, a sea with no bottom or shore. Our sins, though they're many, your grace is more. I just thank you for your grace. And in your grace, help us to overcome our fears. In Jesus' name, amen.